This is the Smooth Operator Podcast. I'm Adam Liette, Director of Operations for a seven-figure online business and eight-year veteran of Army Special Operations. On this show, we get into the tactical nitty-gritty of what it really takes to run a thriving online business because at the end of the day, operators lead the way. What's up, Smooth Operators? It's Friday. Welcome to the end of the week. So glad you made it, man. I mean, every single week, we look forward to the end of it, but what does that bring us? It brings us the ability to look back at everything we've accomplished in this fantastic week of opportunity that we've had, and I hope you have had a good week for yourself. I've had a great week because I get to end it with this outstanding conversation with the guests I'm going to bring on here. Now, as you may know, before all this entrepreneur stuff and working online stuff, I was a military guy. And specifically in the military, I worked in what we call influence operations. So whenever I hear someone talking about influence, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't wait. Which is why I have been looking forward to talking with uh, Dr. Angela Mulrooney from Unleashing Influence. So Angela works with professionals in small businesses, to entrepreneurs in massive corporations to help them get noticed as the go-to expert in their industry while, this is important, while maintaining their authenticity because it can be so easy to feel like we're a bunch of phonies. So let's find out how to unleash our influence today. Dr. Angela, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Thanks for having me, Adam. I appreciate it. Fantastic. This has been, like I said, I've been looking forward to this for a while. And I'd just like to start off with who is Dr. Angela, Angela Moroni, aka the arsonist, possibly the best nickname in all of social media. So who is Dr. Angela? Well, that's a very open-ended question. At what point in my life do you want me to start, Adam? <laughs> Well, I know you had a big career transition right, where your 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 background was you were you were a dentist and you had this experience where you had to transition from that to becoming this master of influence that you become like what what was that journey like for you? Well, that journey started by me really being knocked out of the sky by the universe and my dental career burning to the ground as I got injured after building this amazing practice where I had patients that I loved. I had, I was doing the dentistry I loved. It was really, I was at the high point in my dental career. And then it all just like lit on fire and burned out around me. So once that happened, I had to figure out really who I was without a drill in my hand. And to be honest, I had no idea what I was supposed to do because I had wanted to be a dentist since I was two. And it was at 32 years old that this happened. So it was life-changing to say the least. And so what I started to do was go, okay, you know, I have a professional dance background, so I need to take a break from dentistry. So I'm going to build a professional dance company and see how that goes. So I built Unleashed Dance Company. And in the first six months of that existing, we became the second largest adult-based Latin company in our city. Then taking a year with that allowed me to see a little bit more objectively what had happened with my dental career. And I was like, you know, I invest a lot of my education and like not just in becoming a dentist, but beyond being a dentist. And I'd taken a bunch of business training and I figured, you know, there's silver linings to this. There has to be. So I started to be able to pull the pieces together of what I'd been through and put it into a package of teaching people how to niche into their passion in dentistry. 
So that company was originally called My Business Doctor Inc. It was later um, rebranded to Unleashing Dentistry's Potential. So to get that company noticed, what happened was I took to LinkedIn and started talking about what I knew about branding and um, niching and passion. And in a year, I went from 200 to 12,000 industry followers. And then people went, um, how did you do that? Because <laughs> you came out of nowhere. Like you, you were known as a dentist, but you got zeroed going back to becoming a business consultant. So how did you actually create that climb? And I wasn't sure if what I'd done was a unicorn or if it was actually replicatable. So I started dabbling with a few people's different profiles and seeing if I didn't guarantee anyone any results. I was just like, let me try this and see what happens. And I was actually able to replicate the results. So that was where Unleashing Influence was born from. Um, I did it for a year before it actually became a full-fledged company. And when it was full-fledged, I had two and a half full-time team members. That was exactly two months before the pandemic hit and shut down our world. And when that happened, they we had a, a meeting and they're like, you know, everyone else is getting laid off. It's totally okay if you have to lay us off. And I said, uh-uh, buckle in. We're going to take this thing to the moon. So by 10 months into the pandemic, I was at 14 full-time team members. We just grew by leaps and bounds because a lot of my connections were speakers. They were influencers who were used to being able to be on stage. And now there was no stage. And they were having to learn to speak to that little black hole called the camera. And a lot of them couldn't do it because they were used to having a thousand people in their audience to be able to give them energy and help them to be engaging. So trying to bring that energy with just that facing them was really hard. So that's where that company came from. Um, and then I decided to move to Nicaragua and realized a few months in that I was working hundred hours a week, being pulled in all these different directions and realized I had created a monster that was pulling me apart. So I decided, you know, the reason I moved here wasn't to keep the same bad habits I had in business. I came here to really have a revelation. And the revelation was I had built all these things and they were successful, but I didn't want them anymore. So I started burning them down. I started divesting, selling off my companies. I sold off everything except for just what I do in Unleashing Influence. So the agency part got sold off. And now I just focus on what I do, um, where I run 90-day accelerators. I take people through pivots, taking them typically from corporate to becoming first-time entrepreneurs, building out the influence behind it, the systems, um, and really giving them a business in a box so that they can launch um, with, with as much ease and efficiency as possible. Oh my gosh. I learned some new stuff there. I love it. <laughs> and we've known each other a bit. And I think so that's where the arsonist comes from. It's burning down everything that doesn't fulfill you or doesn't contribute to your best self, right? Exactly. And that's what tends to happen with my clients is they come to me because everyone is telling them they should do this, they should do that. And inside, they know what they want to do, but they're being so influenced by outside voices that they start to internalize those outside voices and start shitting all over themselves. And so I give them the matches to burn down what is holding them back, unleash them from their past and actually start being able to move into the future and do exactly what they want. And once they have that revelation of releasing from that, that's when success happens and they tend to end up making a whole lot more money and a whole lot less time and end up doing the work that they really love to do. Oh my goodness. And that's so empowering, like to be able to look around to be given those tools to look at your own life and look at your own contribution and be like, nope, that's not doing it for me anymore. Let's get rid of that. Let's get rid of that. But I think so many of us and, and yourself included 
it wasn't always voluntarily. Like sometimes things got taken away from us. And I think we've all felt that pain in some way. Mm-hmm. And I, I know the further I've gotten into this journey, the know, the more I know that this whole game is really, it's a self game and it's like an inner strength game. So what, what are some of the things that you found give, gave you the strength to pull through that trauma and that experience and to grow from it? Well, to be honest, I have never had anyone else have my back. So there wasn't really a choice but to succeed. That doesn't mean that I didn't sit in the corner and cry <laughs> a lot uh, when I first lost my career because I, I was so lost. That was my whole identity, right? I'd wanted to be a dentist since I was two. So that was a 30-year identity that just disappeared overnight. And it took a lot of really getting beaten up by the world um, to actually start listening to myself because everyone else, like I had never been through this. And so there was outside advisors saying, you know, you should keep your company. You should uh, just bring in associates. You should keep your practice going because you built this brand and it can carry on without you. The problem was I had built a brand around me and my skill set, And I had a skill set that most dentists didn't have. So when I first started trying to replace myself, I had four different practitioners working to cover off my skill set because I had IV sedation, I had implants, I had full mouth reconstruction, I had uh, sleep apnea, which most dentists might get one of those and become masterful at them. And I had acquired all these things because the practice that I had needed them. And so I rose to the occasion and got the education I needed, but it wasn't as easy ever as everyone said it should be because they were looking at it from a very basic bread and butter practice and mine was not. Um, And it took two and a half years of me trying to like fight myself and keep listening to what everyone was telling me. And then finally, when 2015 hit, my practice was in Calgary. So it was oil-based and there was the massive oil crash. That was when I was like, nope, (laughs) I am (laughs) not doing this with associates because I had built the practice during the global financial crisis. And so I knew how hard it was to go through economic issues and the economy like almost went straight down. It wasn't a slow (laughs) burn to the ground. It was right to the ground. So I decided to fire sell my practice for half of its value, which again, everyone told me I shouldn't do that. And honestly, the day I handed over those keys, I felt massive relief because for those two and a half years after my injury happened, every day I walked into that practice was like someone ripped a scab off my heart and I felt like I started hurting again. So it wasn't that was when I first started to actually really tune into myself and start making decisions that were based on what my intuition said instead of what everyone else was telling me I should be doing. Oh my goodness. And I think that's so, that's so powerful because we all, I mean, us entrepreneurs, we kind of get no Facebook knows us you know, LinkedIn starts to know us. And so we, we constantly have all these voices speaking at us Absolutely. and that can be so overpowering to the point where like one of the happiest days of my life was when I hired someone to run my own Facebook. Cause I didn't have to see all that anymore. Mm-hmm. Cause there's what it's what everyone else is telling us to do versus what we know is right for ourselves. And And, and I think taking the time to really just internalize and be okay with yourself, like sit with yourself mm-hmm. and just say, you know what? Screw you all. I'm not doing it. I'm not playing your game anymore. Yeah. And that's where the arsonist comes in. And it's just, I tell you, I'm going to like put that somewhere. Just the idea of being an arsonist. 
to things that don't serve me anymore. Mm -hmm. And we are completely in control of what exists and what doesn't exist. Yes, we can get knocked out of the sky by the universe on, on weird occasions, but we have a choice how to rebuild from that. We have a choice what path we take. And I think sometimes we get, we're so caught up in exactly what you said, like people know us on these different platforms and we're worried about what anyone else is going to think if we make a change. Nobody cares. They're so worried about themselves, right? So if you make a change, they might eventually be like, oh, you're doing something different, but it's not going to be instantly alarming because they're more worried about how people perceive them and they're caught up in that. So when we can let go of all those expectations that we have from other people, they really don't exist. They're something we have manufactured to make us feel bigger and better about ourselves. But really, the only person we have to answer to is us. Oh my gosh, we're like 10 minutes into this and I'm already, like I, I formed this story in my own mind over this recent career change I decided to go on to. Mm -hmm. Congrats on and that, I'm, by the way. I'm, I'm literally telling myself like you are, there, there's why you did it. There's why you made this decision. Then there's what you've told a couple of people and what you've told a couple of people is absolute bullshit. I, I made this decision because it's right for me and screw what anyone else thinks. Oh, I love it. You're welcome. <laughs> I mean, it, and it's okay to be selfish for it, right? It's okay. This is our life. It's your existence. It's your one chance on this earth. Mm -hmm. Why shouldn't you be happy? Why shouldn't you reach satisfaction in everything you're after and just push everything else to the side? Right. And the number one regret of people on their deathbed is that they didn't do what they wanted to do with their life. They were subscribing to everyone else's expectations. So mm. we should finally be learning from that, that that's not what we want to do. And I feel like the younger generation actually is, right? Like I'm 43. I'm guessing you're probably about the same vintage as me. And so we still have these weird expectations on us that came from our parents because it came from their parents. But I feel like the younger generation is going, no, I'm not going to work that way. I want to have a life that is meaningful. I want to do work that is meaningful. So they've actually stepped into this and figured this out. And I know the younger generation is like, we all think they're radicals and they're doing things wrong, but I think they have a lot figured out that we could be learning from them as well. Mm. Now you're activating the dad side of my brain. It's like, what are my children watching me do? Because, I mean, for those of you out there in the audience, if you are a parent or even an aunt, uncle, whatever, you have these young people looking to you. Like, what are you teaching them in your own actions? That they are going to mimic you in some way, shape, or fashion. So there's so much to be said about the example we're setting to the next generation and whether or not they're going to follow us and go down this path or completely rebel and do whatever. I mean, remains to be seen. But I think if we are like the rebels in our own way and following our own path, then they're going to follow us and we're they're going to be able to be their true selves and keep that close connection with us. Oh, okay. New dad moment. Love it. <laughs> That's awesome. That's what's cool about, I mean, I think the, some of the best business podcasts I listen to, and I hope this show can be one too. It's like, it's not just about the dollars and cents and the conversions and the blah, blah, blah. This is more than that. And that's why I love to have good guests. Fantastic. Awesome. So I want to dive into something. 
And it's that phrase that we use, influence. I find it's an extremely loaded term. It gets thrown about. Like, what does that term mean to you, Angela? For me, it's the ability to change the world with what you know. Mm, fantastic. Well, that's incredibly concise. I love it. <laughs> the ability to change the world of what you know. And with that, we, we know this is such a, it's a noisy world, mm-hmm. right? So how, how can we use our internal self, our superpowers, and get that content out there in this incredibly noisy world so we can have that influence? Well, for most people, they end up, you know, again, shooting all over themselves and listening to what everyone else is saying. And so they end up not being their true version right? Even what you said about, you know, the story behind why you've changed, you you have a few different versions. So which one is actually true? And if you actually can let yourself, and I'm not saying this is easy, but if you can let yourself be true to who you are and just have your opinion and be okay with that. And if people like it or not, it doesn't matter because it is you being true to you and you have to be true to you more than anyone else. That is where you are able to actually make change in the world. And people can feel it, right? If you are BSing your way through stuff, people's BS barometers are so sensitive, especially since the pandemic, right? And so they are going to feel that something isn't quite right and they're going to move on from you, right? If they can see across different platforms, across different scenarios, that you are the same person all the time, that's where trust is built. And that's where you're able to actually influence and change the world because you can't change people. And I'm not asking you to go in and be like messing with people, but being able to give them the tools to help themselves to create transformation in their life, they have to be able to 100% trust you with that because that is extremely vulnerable. When you are going through a transformation, you are breaking parts of yourself down that have been part of your identity for a long time. And you're having to call your call yourself out about things that no longer serve you, that maybe were super important to you before, and now they're not. And now you feel like you have to explain that to other people. So that breakdown to be able to find that transformation is hard for people. And so they have to really be able to see you as that trusted advisor and that trusted source of information that can help them to go to that vulnerable state and rebuild in such a way that they will create transformation in their own life. Mm. So that aspect of breaking it down, like breaking yourself down, confronting that new identity, I think kind of working backwards from where you are now, like, is that, or if anyone out there is like, yeah, I'll, I'll start when I figure myself out, like, that's going to be the never ending excuse, or should we be comfortable with being exposed and almost breaking it down in public, if that makes sense? I don't think you have to completely expose your whole journey because for most people, they're not going to do that. That's just asking them to talk the way that they talk on camera is hard enough, let alone being like, here's my little boo-boos that I'm going to tell the world about. But if you, what happens with most people is they have different personas in different situations, right? And we do have different dimensions to who we are in different scenarios, for sure. But oftentimes we're like, well, professional me is like this. And then personal me is like this. And we sometimes forget. And I honestly had this weird realization this summer that personal me and professional me are still the same human living in the same body with the same soul. And I had always been like, well, you know, when my life goes to hell personally, I thrive professionally, right? (laughs) 
And so some of my biggest achievements came from my, my like darkest, darkest per personal moments. But if my personal is doing well and my professional is doing well, I can only imagine how well overall me is going to do. And that's what happens with people too, is they have this dissonance that, you know, professional me is this badass. Personal me is this person who lays down and plays dead when things go wrong, right? That's how a lot of people feel. And when you can actually have, when you can bring those things together and go, okay, that's BS. Personal me is not different than professional me. And you can just merge that. And then you're just really developing your, your brand. Um, and when people talk to me about personal brand, they're like, well, what about my professional brand? And I'm like, it's the same thing, right? I'm not talking about your corporate brand. I'm talking about you as a person. So your professional and your personal are all in one. And so when you can find that congruency and get rid of that cognitive dissonance about who you are, that's where people really start to step into who they fully can be. And it's not an overnight process, right? Like you can have all these revelations along the way, but getting comfortable with that, if you've been fighting yourself for 40 years, it's not going to happen overnight that you change. But you can take those little steps and start recognizing, oh, when I say that, I don't feel like I'm being true to myself, right? When I tell this story a different way in that in front of that audience because I'm trying to appease them, you know, that's not being true to myself. And just paying attention to those little moments when your gut goes Bleh, and start letting yourself be guided by that because we all have this amazing intuition. And I'm not trying to be woo about this. This is fact. We have intuition when we can feel when things are right and wrong. We can feel when something fits with us. We can feel when it doesn't. And the more we can tune into that and start doing everything that feels like it fits with us, that's where you start to really win. And that's where people will start to trust you more as well. Mm. And I think it's funny because by breaking it down that way, you're, you're actually simplifying your life in so many ways by just, hey, this is who I am, world. Love it. Because mm -hmm. I think we're, we're taught you, you have to put on this mask or this face or this aura or whatever you want to call it when mm -hmm. we show up to work, when we show up on camera. And gosh, I mean, how long can you actually keep that up? I mean, I mean, people do it for years and decades. <laughs> I know they do. And I just, it exhausts me just thinking of it. Yeah. And, and I remember just from my own experience running a team as a director of operations and feeling like the biggest fraud in the room at all times. And that was before I got a coach and we actually looked at my disc and some of my personality assessments. And they were like, why are you doing that? Mm -hmm. You don't feel right because you're not like, this is what you want to do anyway. So figure out a way to do it. Mm -hmm. So I think we have tools like that, like, like a, a disc assessments, like Enneagrams, like all these things that'll help us kind of see what we want to do anyway. But I think you you nailed it more than anything. Like there's that inner intuition that's going to tell us, no, no, that's bull. So I, we have all these parameters in, in us already. It's just a matter of paying attention to them and stop trying to shut them up. Like, like is often the, uh, the instinct of us. Nope. Got to power through, got to push through. Hmm. You don't have to power through. Just listen. Yeah. And I see that with people, like a lot of the clients that I work with are 20 plus years in their industry. Some of them are 40 years in their industry. And so they have been working a certain way. They have built a certain reputation in that industry. And so for them to go, oh, 
I haven't been living authentically. I haven't been feeling like myself all this time. And I want to switch. I want to pivot to doing something different. That can be really hard for them to do. So there's those panic moments where they're like, maybe I should go back to this because it's been comfortable for so long. But it once you start breaking it down, it becomes easier and easier. And even with my accelerator clients, there's ones that have graduated and they come to maybe a challenge or a lecture and they're like, oh yeah, I need to revisit being authentic again. And it's quite funny because that was something we worked on so heavily when we did their Crack You Open session and really dug into who they are, who they're supposed to be, who they are, how they interact in the world. And yet they still need that reminder years later after graduating. Hmm. My gosh. And I've been in one of your five-day challenges. And listeners, if you need to go check check out Dr. Angela on LinkedIn, show notes will have the link, but you need to join one of her challenges. It's pretty amazing. Um, Cause it's like five days of, oh crap, like look in the mirror constantly time after time moments. And so yeah, m- major kudos for what you do in those challenges. It's, it's one of the best challenges I've ever been a part of. Thank you. Yeah. And those happen every month. So if someone is looking to join them, usually the first week of the month is when they hit. So I'll make sure that you've got the updated link for that as well. Fantastic. And I'm one of the things, one of the first things we did in that like, well, we talked a lot about ourselves and like looking at our own strengths. And one particular thing for me was the idea of commit to a, a niche of mastery. Like, what am I a master of? So how, how do you define that niche of mastery and really like finding out where we're an expert? Well, what happens with people, especially if they're newer into an industry, they're not going to be masterful of a lot of things, right? They've often chosen to go on that path. They've taken some education. They have some experience. So they're a teeny little baby master. And so what I always advise is like own where you're at because you can't claim. And when people come to me who are fresh out of school and they want to be this thought leader in something, I'm like, I can't work with you yet because you don't have mastery yet, right? You have passion, but you don't have mastery yet in this topic because you're new to it, right? So when we're developing out mastery, it is going to grow deeper and deeper. And the more we actually niche into a topic and a subtopic and a sub-subtopic, then we're actually able to go deep into what we know. What often happens is like what I did, you know, I'm like, ah, professional dancer, business coach for dentists, ah, social media agency. And so I spread myself in all these different directions and all the companies were successful, but, and I worked really hard on each of them. But to say I was completely masterful at any of them would be looking back now. I'm like, well, that wasn't fair to say because, you know, I was spread in all those directions. And then when I picked my path with just focusing on unleashing influence and what I do with the accelerators, that allowed me to go even deeper into my knowledge and attract more of the right people. And the funny Mm -hmm. thing is by divesting all those companies, burning those away, my income increased significantly and the right people started showing up because the little pretty packaging of who I was now made more sense to the audience because they weren't looking and seeing dancer, business coach, social media agency, like the pieces didn't make sense to most people. So by actually, you know, going deep and becoming more masterful at it and like, I'm good at what I do, but I know there's still a whole bunch to learn, right? Like I read a book a week (laughs) minimum to keep diving deeper and deeper into what I know. I take courses all the time. I'm other on other people's challenges. I'm in three different masterminds at a time so that I can keep getting more and more information to become more masterful at what I'm doing. So the path to mastery is never ending. 
right? You're never going to get yeah. to a point and be like, I'm finished because then there's something new that's going to come out that you can learn about. But when you can actually pick that one point of what you're going after and then dive into it, you're never going to be bored. What's actually going to happen is the more you know, the more you realize you know nothing. Mm. And in some ways, it's so exciting, too, because, I mean, I read, I, I don't quite get to a book a week, but I'm like a book every two weeks. But I, I know that book I don't really want to read. That's, that's one that takes me five weeks, six weeks, and I keep putting it aside and picking up the one I want instead so it's it's paying attention to ourselves paying attention to what we're actually passionate about like what gets us out of bed in the morning what what is that i always call it the 2 a.m moment where you wake up with that idea like at 2 a.m what is it like that's what your subconscious is already thinking so why fight it agreed that is so cool and then once like when you're working with people like okay we have our niche of mastery or maybe we might be the baby Yoda of that niche of mastery. Yeah. People don't usually come in with their niche of mastery. They come right. in and we do the cracky open um, boot camp because that allows them to throw out what is their expertise, their experience, their passion. And then I package them. Um, and they, when they leave that, then they have their niche of mastery. But most people come in going like, I got lots of tools in my toolkit, but I don't know what to do with them. So the fact of like trying to pick your niche of mastery is not simple especially if you have a lot of experience, there's a lot of, a lot of crayons in your box that you could pull from. And so it's really trying to figure out how those best fit together to create that little pretty package that you can put out to the world. Mm. And is that all internal work or is that something we should be like, try it on for size in the public sphere, like try to create some content, like what are some tools we can use to like develop which crayons or which combination of crayons are one that's going to fit the best if we have a wide breadth of experiences. So what I ask people do, to do is if you could only do three of the things that you do right now for the next five years, which are the three that you would be happy to do? And so that starts to get you to eliminate things. Like when I was divesting all my companies, I wrote out all my skills on a whiteboard and then started crossing off as I figured out which ones were like, don't really love doing that. And then I found my top three and what it was really was the best of all my companies. So the performance piece from my dance company teaches me, allows me to teach people to be really good on camera, to be engaging, to be physically driven with their content. Um, and then the business coaching from Dentistry allows me to teach people how to build their business while they're in the accelerator. And then the social media part of it, obviously, um, we leverage LinkedIn highly for the experts that I work with. So I was able to pull in the best pieces from every company. So I didn't feel like I was leaving anything on the table. And that's what happens when people are trying to niche. They go, oh, my God, I'm leaving opportunity over here. I'm leaving this experience or this expertise behind. And you're, you're never doing that because your brain has changed because of everything that you've been through. So that's never going to fall out of you. What you've developed from that is never going to fall out. So picking your niche really is about developing that pretty packaging of how the world can understand you. And then once you get those people interested, then you bring in those other tools. But if you try and showcase every toolkit in your box, if you paint the world with every color, you're going to have a chaotic mess that people don't quite get what you can do for them. Absolutely. And listener, here's what I challenge you to do, listeners. Find at least like one or two things that you can do that you don't really love to do and tell, and it just happened to me that yesterday, actually, 
someone asked me, can you do this for us? And I'm like, I can, but I don't want to. The first time you tell someone no, you're there. There's that part of your brain saying they're gonna pay me. They're gonna pay me. I know. And then you say no, and you feel like bad for not getting the money for about three point two seconds, and then you spend the rest of the day going, "Oh, I don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so wonderful." And yeah. there's such yeah, it's such a beautiful moment. I think for all of us when we do it for the first time. Yeah. Well, when I made the decision on my three things that I was doing within my company, I just had these three things listed in giant letters on my board. And when I would get a call that was asking me to do something, I'd look at the board and be like, nope, doesn't fit in there. I can refer you to someone who can help you with that. And that was scary. It took a lot of discipline to say no, because um, I had been in the mode of saying yes to everything because I had been growing business after business after business. And when you're in that mode of startup, um, and trying to get exponential results, you do say yes to things that are adjacent sometimes to what you are really masterful at because you're trying to get, you're trying to satisfy the clients and they're asking, they're, you, they came to you for something, but they're asking you for something that you could help them with. And you will say yes to that. But when you get to that point of actually being confident enough to say, these are the three things I do. If you don't check my boxes, then I'm going to send you elsewhere. That is the moment where I feel like you've arrived. Not nice. done, but you have arrived. You've, your toe is in the door. You need to step the rest of the way into it. But I think you gave us all an out there, Angela, and one that's really empowering and allows us to be the kind of helpful people that we try to be. Just You said, no, let me refer you to someone. Mm-hmm. And that's where we're activating these networks. We're connecting with people. And you know, networking is... I, it's such a reciprocal thing where you start networking people over, you start getting referrals from them. And like, it's this weird thing that starts to happen when you are referring people over. Mm-hmm. And not only are you getting it off your plate, but you're actually giving the client the best result. So Absolutely. if you have to tell it to yourself that way, say, well, I can't do this the best because my heart's not really into it. That guy over there can, and they're going to be good. Go talk to them. Mm-hmm. So that's just real. I, I always like to, Frame it in every. I'm I'm always trying. I'm always looking for the win. I'm always looking for that glass is half full, so I can't help it. And that, that's what my mind immediately went to. So love that <laughs> idea, and sweet man, so much to be taken from that about just leaning into where we are, and what serves us the most. Oh, fantastic! So if someone is intrigued by what they hear here. Where can they find out more about you or what can they do to start finding their own superpowers and really leaning into what serves them? So I think one of the best exposures to actually move forward quickly is the challenges because you've got five days that you're hunkering down. If you sign up for VIP, which gives you five hours with me um, as a group digging into the information as well, you will get exponential results from it and exponential insight into what you can be doing. But those five days are powerful. And people come, like I have people who come four challenges in a row. So every month they come through the same challenge and they are still digging into the information and learning. So that's a really great uh, entry point. And then another great place to find me is on LinkedIn. So I'm on, it's listed as Dr. Angela Mulroney. 
Fantastic. And you mentioned reading. So I do want to end this with just a, a question about books, because I'm a book fiend. I have this whole big bookshelf next to me that's full. I have to build a new one. Um, if you were to recommend a couple of books that people might not have read before that might not seem about anything marketing or branding or anything like that, but just books that you've found that have really helped you, like what are some of your top reads that you'd recommend? My favorite book is still The 4-Hour Workweek because every time I read it, it helps me to burn away more stuff that I shouldn't be doing, right? It's just a great reminder. I actually typically read it twice a year and I find layers of insight every time, even though I've read it so many times since I first got it. Um, another one as far as building out your network and understanding the power of your network is um, Power Connector by, uh, I think it's Susan Robinette. That is a great book talking about the power of like carefully developing out your network, intentionally developing out your network and who you spend your time with. Because especially when someone's in a building phase, it can be easy to binge on phone calls and sales calls and, you know, LinkedIn and everything else. And like I used to do 30, sometimes 30 sales calls per week. And, and there were sales calls or synergistic calls, but that was a lot of time. And now I've become more discerning. I have lots of points where I knock people out of my network because they're not a good fit for me or, you know, they're not going to buy my services or what they're doing isn't going to be helpful for me or my clients. So I'm careful about who I'm spending my time with because I want that network that I can trust, that I can say, hey, I can't help you because that's not what I'm masterful at. But this person can, and I know they will knock it out of the park for you. So I'm spending more time being very intentional with my network. And that book will give you a good, um, stepping stone into thinking about your network. Love it. I've read the four hour work week, of course. I've only read it once. So I need to go back through a second and third time. Mm -hmm. But Power Connector, that's a new one for me. I'm going to, darn it. See, this is what happens, Angela. So I get on these interviews and I end up spending more money on Amazon and then needing to build another bookshelf because <laughs> I only have one that's completely overpacked right now. So this is how I get in trouble. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Fantastic. So good to have you on the show, finally. The arsonist. And um, just so wonderful to dive into this topic and just finding out really just how to leverage the skill that we're best at, leverage what is our true selves and have influence in the world and build a kick-ass brand. So, so great to have you. Is there anything uh, before we wrap up you'd like to share? No, I appreciate the conversation. Um, love the questions. So thanks for, thanks for the opportunity, Adam. All right, that wraps up for this episode, but don't let the learning stop here. Join us in the Facebook group where we'll be sharing the latest tactical techniques and tricks that we're seeing work in companies just like yours. Go to adamliette.com slash Facebook. That's A-D-A-M-L-I-E-T-T-E dot com slash Facebook.